Let's open the Word of God to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, and gave the sense, and caused them to understand the reading. Praise the Lord that the Bible tells us how to preach. Nothing sing-song, no stories, no, nothing about my mama, even though I love my mama and she's sitting right in front of me. So they read in the book, in the law of God distinctly, Amen. and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. How could Ezra do that? Because he was already scribe in the law of God. That means he gave his life to it. He wasn't a farmer that cracked the Bible 30 minutes before he got in the pulpit. He wasn't a farmer that got up and sat in the stand and waited for some song to prick his mind. He was a ready scribe in the law of God. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and let's hear the Word of God to us this morning. I am going to read to you verses 6. Through 13. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, We believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Amen and amen. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, Romans chapters 1 through 5 laid out God's grace in saving us that we lay hold of by faith and show the evidence of it by faith. It was very powerful in presenting our condemnation and God's gracious salvation. We come to the sixth chapter and we have a question in the first verse. Based on all that was taught in those first five chapters, What should we conclude and what should we take away in the way of a lesson from those five chapters? Shall we continue in sin that God's abundant grace might abound? The apostle forms the question in verse 1. He answers it with another question in verse 2. In verse 2, he asks, How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? At this point... A person, especially the theologically minded, might be asking and should be asking, is the apostle talking about our eternal 
phase of salvation with God's election and predestination? Or is he talking about the legal phase of salvation with Christ's death on the cross? Or the vital phase of salvation, which is the Holy Spirit's implanting of a new nature in us? Or is he referring to the final phase of salvation and our glorification in heaven with Christ being alive? It is the practical phase of salvation that is in Romans chapter 6. And of that practical phase of salvation, it is primarily the figurative and symbolic aspects of our practical salvation that come from baptism. So in the second verse, when the apostle asks the question, how shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He doesn't mean dead to sin positionally. He doesn't mean dead to sin legally. He doesn't mean dead to sin vitally. He means dead to sin practically and figuratively by the fact that these were baptized believers. Because he uses the next three verses to explain what he meant by that question in verse 2. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not? First three words of verse 3. Know ye not that the doctrine of baptism, the nature of baptism, its symbolism, and why you were baptized teaches that you are dead to sin and alive to holiness and righteousness. I want you to understand these words. I read distinctly. I give the sense. I'm trying to cause you to understand the reading so that you understand Romans 6. And we are going to walk away from it in a few minutes. And we are going to know that we need to go through life based on our baptism and what Christ did to give baptism meaning to say that we are dead to some things and alive to other things. This is the doctrine of baptism. This is the real meaning of it. We don't get baptized because our grandpa and grandma got baptized. We don't get baptized because mommy and daddy did it and we were raised in the Baptist church. That's how most Baptists talk. We are baptized because Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again for us. And we identify ourselves with Him by dying to self burying ourselves and rising to walk in a new life with Him, for Him, to the glory of God. That's why we get baptized. It's not to become a church member. It's to identify with Jesus Christ by giving the answer of a good conscience for what He's done for us and by making a declaration of what we're going to do for Him. And so in verses 3 through 5, the apostle explains... What he meant by the question in verse 2, that we are dead to sin and cannot live any longer in it because we showed that we're dead by burying ourselves underwater in immersion. The mode of baptism is demanded by chapter 6, 3 through 5. The subject of baptism is demanded in Romans 6, 3 through 5 because it is someone making a declaration based on what Christ did for them, what they are going to do for him. The design is symbolic and figurative. It is a likeness, not a reality. Right. It's Romans 6, 3 through 5. These are Baptist verses. No one else can explain them like a Baptist. Amen. There's no likeness of a burial or a planting by sprinkling a little bit on a small part of a seed. If you lay a seed on the asphalt or the pavement and you sprinkle a little tiny bit of dirt on just a very small part of that seed... 
it isn't going to sprout and grow. It's not planting anything. And if you bury someone that way, the county health department is going to be all over your case. Enough. Verse 6. Baptism is specifically identified and the analogy drawn from it in verses 3 through 5 that as Christ died, was buried, and rose again, so we in the waters of baptism die, are buried, and we rise again. Now verse 6. Knowing this, from baptism we continue the thought. Knowing this, and knowledge is crucial. It is not good feelings. It is not hearing the presentation of a message that makes you feel good. That is not Bible preaching. It is knowledge that must be communicated. Some orders of churches and some denominations make a difference between teaching and preaching. They are totally ignorant. There is no difference between teaching and preaching. Preaching is public teaching. If you're preaching without teaching, your preaching is garbage. It's vanity. It's nothing but a bunch of hot air. Preaching and teaching is to communicate knowledge. You need to understand these verses and what does God expect from me from these verses? What is He teaching me? And I'm trying to convey that to you. So it starts out with the words, knowing this. Our baptisms show us something in the way of knowledge. This is where we begin adding details to our confession in baptism that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's our only Savior, and we're thankful for Him giving us a good conscience by the forgiveness of our sins. Now we start adding to that that we should know other things that were intended by baptism. And those other things are that we are going to die to certain things, and we are alive to other things. And we want to grab that, knowing this. This is what we should know about baptism. That our old man is crucified with him. Now there is a legal reality here. When Jesus died on the cross, he died to put away your old man. Your old man is the man you've had since you were conceived. David said he was conceived in iniquity. The old man is your old sin nature. It is the, 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 the being, the force, the power, the inclination, the motives, the desire, the nature inside of you that loves sin. The old man. It's old because it comes from Adam. It's old because you've always had it. It's as old as you are in you personally. It's as old as Adam in the human race. It's your old man. It is the nature that loves sin. It is what forces you to sin. It's what causes you to sin. Jesus died to condemn that old man and to put away anything he can ever do against you. He's been crucified on the cross of Calvary. Every one of his sins and the inherent sinfulness of the nature of that old man was put away by the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ did not have an old man. And he kills your old man and he expects you to kill your old man. And when you're baptized, guess what you said? My old man was legally killed by the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm practically, figuratively, symbolically burying him today. That old part of me that wants Adam's lifestyle, that wants the world's lifestyle, that submits to the devil, that hates God, and would rather live for pleasure, I'm killing that old man. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. 
your old man has been destroyed at the cross legally, and you declared him dead in the waters of baptism. And you are to crucify your flesh every day. Jesus would say, if a man wants to follow me, let him take up his cross daily and follow me. A cross? Do you know what the world thinks that means? Does the church have a jewelry shop? I'm going to go buy myself a little silver cross. And I'm going to wear it. I'm going to be a bold Christian. I'm going to wear it outside my clothes. I'm going to be a closet Christian. And I'll wear it inside my clothes. But I'm going to wear a silver chain with a silver cross. And if I'm really dedicated, I'll have a clothed Savior on that cross. Even though He wasn't clothed on the cross. I'll wear a crucifix. They think that's being crucified. When Jesus said in Luke chapter 9 and verse 23 that if any man will follow me, he needs to take up his cross daily, we need to haul a cross around and nail to it anything that displeases God that Jesus died for. It's things you watch. It's things you think. It's things you say. It's friends you hang around. It's music you listen to. It's clothing that is immodest. It's slothfulness. It's selfishness. It's loneliness. It's malice, it's anger, it's bitterness. All those things should be nailed to a cross. Because in baptism, do you remember your baptism? I remember your baptism. We want to nail things to a cross, so we carry His cross around. Now, He he literally carried a cross. He legally carried a cross. He literally got nailed to His cross. He legally got nailed to the cross to redeem us to God. We figuratively do it in baptism. We don't carry a piece of wood, but we're ready to nail anything to the cross. That should die. That should die. I'm going to crucify that. We're not going to do that anymore in this house. We are nailing that to the cross of Christ. That's taking up your cross daily. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. The whole collection of sins, of everything your body can do, Jesus Christ died for, and you are supposed to be doing it on a daily basis of mortifying them. I've used the word crucify. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Galatians chapter 5, crucifying the affections and the lusts thereof of your flesh. We're to nail things to the cross. You say, but that's painful. Of course. Would you like the Savior to get a little more specific about what kind of torture crucifixion involves? If your right eye offends you, what does the Savior say? What does the Jesus of the Bible say? Not the Jesus of the WWJD bracelet. The Jesus of the Bible. Pluck it out and cast it from you. Pluck out your right eyeball and throw it out into the yard. And what's the sun going to do to it in a few hours? It's going to be a raisin. He says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Adam and Zach have the saws to help you do it quickly. Cut it off. That's crucifixion. You say, what does he mean by those kind of words? Well, Origen and church fathers and ministers who hallucinate in their studies think that he might mean it literally. So the historical evidence is that Origen castrated himself because Jesus said in Matthew 19 
Some men have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. There's better ways to make yourself a eunuch for the kingdom of heaven's sake than that. It's like the Apostle Paul saying, I'll burn myself out so I don't have any energy, desire left over for a wife or time. Not to actually take a pair of scissors and use them for something other than paper. Do you understand what it means to cut off your right hand? Something that is practically pleasant and valuable to you. Something in your life that your right hand touches that's a temptation to you, throw it out of your life. Something that you look at and you know television is one dangerous thing and your eye sees that television and watches things on it that promotes a lifestyle different than the Word of God, it is anti-Christ. Pluck your eye out and cast it from you. Do you know what that means? Turn the television off. That's what it means. That's how we crucify ourselves. Yes, it's painful. But the real pain was suffered by the Son of God. Our pain is nothing in comparison. And do you know what? If you'll suffer a little pain for His sake, He'll fulfill your life with greater blessings of joy and happiness, satisfaction and delight in living than you could ever have trying to find those things yourself. Listen to the voice of experience on that one on top of the Bible declaring that. But we never can prove the delights of His love until all on the altar we lay. What does it mean to lay it all on the altar? That means to burn it up. Look at all these metaphors and figures of speech we have. This is what the Word of God is trying to teach us. What in your life right now, in thought, word, or deed, is displeasing to the Lord? Jesus died for it. And when you were baptized, you said you were going to die to it. You weren't going to do it anymore. You were going to bury it underwater. What? Examine yourselves. Preaching is to cause you to look in the mirror of God's Word and see all the blemishes in your life. And let us be doers of the Word of God and not just hearers. Blessed is the man that will hear the Word of God and do something about it. James 1.25 ends very positively. But if you just hear this message and go your way and stay the way you are right now, the Lord is against you. You've wasted His Word. What can you tear out of your life? Knowing this, from baptism, that our old man is crucified with him, verse 6, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. That's what we said when we got baptized, knowing this. We understand the nature and symbolism and the figurative picture of baptism, meaning that we are henceforth, from this moment on, we are not going to serve sin. We were servants of sin before, more about servitude and bondage in the second half of this chapter. We were servants before, but no longer. Verse 7, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Now that's not a very deep point, is it? There's one thing that will stop your sinning. And that's to die. You'll stop sinning as soon as you die. You know, if we were to think about this verse once a year, we wouldn't, we wouldn't hate death quite so much, would we? For he that is dead is freed from sin. But the apostle is not talking about you dying physically. The apostle is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ dying physically and you dying figuratively and symbolically in baptism. You said you were dead. Colossians 3 and verse 3 said, Ye are dead. Didn't didn't I read that to you earlier? And any of you listening to this sermon that were not in this assembly, I would suggest you stop the tape or the internet right now and go to Colossians chapter 3 and read the first 11 verses. 
For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. He that is dead is freed from sin. This is a baptism verse. Where did the picture of death come from? Pouring? No, thank you. Sprinkling? No way. Immersion? Yes. Immersion, rightly understood by a person old enough to know the declaration that they're making of what God did for them through Jesus Christ and what they are going to do for God in return. There's more knowledge involved than just, I love Jesus. It's, I'm going to live for Jesus. Right. He that is dead is freed from sin. A dead man can't sin. Look at First Peter chapter 4. Let me turn you over there. Look at a cross-reference for this. First Peter chapter 4. Now, Jesus Christ did die literally and physically and legally for our sins. We don't have to do those three things for our sins. He just wants us to follow and copy his death, burial, and resurrection by burying our old way of life and our sinful members of our life to rise to walk with a new life. First Peter 4, verse 1, For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, how much did he suffer? He died. That's what's under consideration here. For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves. That means get some weapons on so that you can fight a good warfare. Arm yourselves with the same mind. For he that hath suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin. The suffering in the flesh there is death. Just like it's death in the first half of the verse. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men. But to the will of God, we are dead. We are dead like Jesus Christ was dead literally. We're dead figuratively and symbolically. That we should no longer live any more time. Remember, we're to pass the time of our sojourning here carefully and with a disciplined mind. Verse 3, for the time past of our life may suffice us. You should be full of sin from what you did before you were converted and baptized. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness. That's unbridled lust, doing whatever you feel like. Lust, desires of things God hasn't given you. Excess of wine, over-drinking, revelings, party, that's over-partying, banquetings, over-partying, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. Other people are going to think you strange if you live a crucified life. But God is going to love your crucified life because it's in honor and it's looking like the death of His Son. And the saints of God will love your crucified life. Who cares what the world thinks? Jesus didn't care what the world thinks. They're going to count you strange. But you should be full of sin. You know, it's hard for... When we baptize a five-year-old, it's hard for a five-year-old to understand that verse because it says the time past of your life should suffice you. They don't even know they have a sin nature at five. You can tell them and they're going to nod their head up and down. Of course they are. Listen, I can ask a two-year-old right now and get them to nod their head. Whose who's child do you want me to pick on right now? I'll embarrass the parents. I can get a five-year-old to say anything. That's why you don't let them talk to strangers and pastors. The point being, the time past of our life should suffice us. But boy, you give me some 
You give me a 20-year-old that's wallowed a little bit off and on in sin and knows a little bit about temptation and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Zach, you understand 1 Peter 4, 1 through 5 a little bit better than some? Back to Romans 6. He that is dead is freed from sin. Do you know what? You can arm yourself with the same mind. It's a mindset. Do you know that Romans 6 is a mindset? It's not the eternal phase of salvation or the legal or the vital or the final. It's a mindset. He's going to say it again in Romans chapter 12 that we are to conform our minds and by the renewing of our minds. It's a mindset. It's an attitude. It's an approach. It's a perception. It's a goal. It's, it's a lifestyle that we choose based on our baptisms, and we should choose it at baptism. Though you were baptized young, do you know what choice you made? I tried to tell you what choice you were making. I told you it was going to get harder and harder, and it's going to get harder and harder. Are you committed? You're dead. So is your papa. But we're alive to God. Let's get the rest of this passage so we can pick up and be a little more positive. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, now how are we dead with Christ? Are we dead in trespasses and sins with Christ? No. Jesus is not dead in trespasses and sins. Are we physically dead with Christ? No. How are we dead with Christ? Symbolically and figuratively in baptism. I want you to see, for those of you that want to understand the Word of God, baptism is continuing through this chapter. Now, if we be dead with Christ by baptism, being buried and planted in His likeness of His death, it said that plainly in verses 3 through 5, we believe that we shall also live with Him. When we are baptized and we understand baptism properly, we also know that there is a future aspect to that baptism, and that's to live with Him. He walks with us, we walk with Him. That is not heaven. You say it's the future tense. Of course it is. Does your baptism apply to the rest of your life? It's the future tense of you living in obedience to Jesus Christ and your baptism where you declared it. You say, but it's the future tense and it sounds like heaven. I know. But have you ever heard these words? Context is our master. And I'm its servant. It's got me by chains. It leads me wherever context wants me to go. Because you know what the next verse says? Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, you are alive now unto Jesus Christ, unto God through Jesus Christ your Lord, not in heaven. Heaven is not the point. If you want to say, well, is there a little tiny, tiny bit of heaven in there? Yes. We'll give you a little tiny, tiny bit of heaven in this passage. But that's not the weight of the passage. Paul's trying to answer the question. If God has so sovereignly saved us by superabounding grace, how should we live the rest of our lives? That's what he's answering. And I just showed you that verses 9 through 11 perfectly answer what verse 8 is talking about in the future tense words, we believe that we shall also live with Him. If we understand baptism has placed us with a mindset of death, then we also understand that it has given us a mindset of the rest of our lives, future tense, in obedience to Jesus Christ. 
I can read the Word of God distinctly better than give the sense. But I hope I'm making the sense plain enough to you. I just want you to know each one of these verses, when you read them, it's telling you to get up and go home today and to get up tomorrow morning if the Lord gives us tomorrow and to go to school and to go to work and be dead to some things and alive to other things. Because that's what you said when I baptized you. You promised in the presence of witnesses and Almighty God and His holy angels and the Lord Jesus Christ. Do I like to drop a bunch of names when I baptize people? I love you too. Let's live up to it. I did it too. I said I'm dead with Christ. I'm alive to God. Now, how, Am I going to live out my baptism or am I just a big fraud? If we be dead with Him, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Dead man can't sin. Let's come to verse 9. Knowing. I, I, listen, brethren. I've read Romans 6 a few times in my life. But when you read Romans 6 and you're looking at every word and you're wondering, why do I have all these knowings? Know ye not. Knowing. Because we don't do baptism because it's a Baptist thing. We don't do baptism because mommy and daddy did it. We don't do baptism because it's the thing our church does because out front they have a sign that says, First Baptist Church. We baptize because we understand that we are identifying with Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. He died to sin and was buried and rose again. I am identifying with Him by dying to sin, my old man being buried with Him, to rise to live unto God just like He is at the right hand of God. I know I've repeated that over and over, but that is what our baptisms declared. And I know what some of you are thinking, and I'm even thinking it to a degree. I didn't fully understand that when I was baptized. I didn't, I wasn't fully taught that. That's okay. You were still baptized by immersion. You just look back and tell the Lord, now I know what it means, and I'm going to make it up to you today and tomorrow and the rest of the days you give me. I will die to self and to sin, and I will live unto you. And I will think about it in those terms so that I will crucify myself daily. I will take up my cross daily. I will mortify. When the Bible says mortify, and that's a verb, what does it mean to do to something? To kill it. A man who deals with dead people is called a mortician. And the house where dead people lie around is called a mortuary. So when the Bible says mortify, it means to put things to death and to kill them. Are there things in your life you should kill? Yes, every day. Thoughts, words, speech patterns, entertainment, choices of time, choices of neglect of our brethren, not reading the Bible, not praying like we should, anger, malice, wrath, vindictiveness, bitterness, unthankfulness, ungratefulness, complaining, whining, murmuring. Does the Bible tell us a few things that we need to put to death? Does it tell us some things to put on? Add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, patience, godliness, temperance, brotherly kindness, and charity. We have, we, the Lord's laid it out to us. We can live like Jesus Christ. You say, but I can't do it perfectly. That's why He died. Including your future sins. It's called the body of sins. He didn't just get a leg or two. He got the body of them. All of them. Praise God. 
You know, Romans 7 and 8 are going to help us out a little bit. But listen, here's the organization of Romans 6 through 8. 6, the exhortation to live like Jesus Christ. 7, you won't be able to do it perfectly, but God has still saved you. 8, there isn't a chance of you being lost. How does that sound for a lesson? I like the way the Lord lays things out. Because we're going to need 7, then we're going to need 8. But right now it's 6. Crucify yourself. Knowing, verse 9, knowing from baptism and the gospel that baptism declares, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died in a sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Once you die, you don't have to die again to sin. This, in the Lord's case, that is absolutely true and perfectly complete. Jesus died once to sin and is set down on the right hand of the majesty on high. On Wednesday evening when I was preaching to you from 1 Peter 3.21 and I was running out of time and I felt terrible and it was dark in here and you were full and you were tired and some of you were uh, catching up on some lost. Anyway, there was more I wanted to say. 1 Peter 3.22. Oh, I love 1 Peter 3.22. It's the verse after baptism because you know 21 said by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and it just kind of ended there 22 says he's sitting at the right hand of God when we get baptized you know what we're saying I'm identifying with the Lord of the universe angels and principalities and powers being made subject to him now does that get you a little bit excited about baptism Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God, and he's living unto God. Death has no more dominion over him because he died to it once and put sin away. Do you know what's contained in these verses first? The legal picture of what Jesus Christ did. He died to sin once, and he lives for eternity unto God. But there's also contained here, Brother Gerald wanted to make sure I understood it. When I told you, and I told the Lord last Sunday, that sometimes I wish I could be baptized every week. You only have to do it once because Jesus only did it once. Appreciate it, brother. He got me. Oh, He said, oh, we only have to do it once because Jesus only did it once. I'm serious. Some days I get so worked up. Would somebody please baptize me again? I just, you know why? Because it says it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. And sometimes my conscience just wants to explode. We're going to explode in the second assembly. I just want to explode and tell him how much I love him. But Jesus only did it once, and so I only have to do it once. That isn't the important part. You know, it's not giving that symbolic, figurative answer to God every week. Give me what He wants from me every week and every day. The application of the symbolic symbolism. The application of the figurative picture. Death to sin, life to God. Okay. Are you with me? Verse 11, likewise, just like Jesus, being dead, dies no more. Everything in verses 9 and 10, likewise, reckon. The word reckon means to count, account, consider, value, esteem. Likewise, consider ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. You are dead. We don't have to go through this multiple times. You know, we shouldn't have numerous deaths and numerous resurrections. 
the type of Baptist that I came from, every time they have a revival, what a revival means to them is, let's get rededicated to the Lord. Since we're Baptists, and since Romans 6 will only let us baptize once, let's get rededicated to the Lord. So you can come forward every, every year, every month, every, every week. You can come forward and rededicate your life to Christ. But you know what this passage is teaching us? We shouldn't need such rededications to Christ. Of course the Lord comes and stirs us up again because we've wandered away. But if we properly understood our baptisms and if we properly understood death once and Christ being dead is in heaven living unto God, we wouldn't have to go through this torture cycle of repenting from sins again and dying again by rededicating ourselves again. Of course it's going to happen. But the exhortation of the 6th chapter of Romans is that it shouldn't happen. The, the purpose of the chapter is to tell us when we heard of Christ, when we learned of the gospel of Christ telling us what He did for us, and when we submitted to water baptism and answered God with a good conscience, we shouldn't go back and retrace that ground. We are dead. That henceforth, henceforth, till what, next Sunday? Henceforth, we should not serve sin. Brethren, let's believe this. Let's lay hold of our baptisms and what they said, and let's fulfill them. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed. Not partially dead, so that you need to go through this again, but dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is a mindset. It is something we reckon. It's a southern usually used by Southerners, well, I reckon, well, I guess so, I think so, I believe so, I do consider that to be true. That's what the word means. You're to consider yourself under a mindset that you're dead to sin and alive to God, just like Jesus is dead to sin once, and he's alive in heaven serving God perfectly. This is the choice we have to make every day. Verse 12, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Sin wants to reign, but don't let it reign. You can resist it. You can turn away from temptation. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. James chapter 1 and verse 12. It's going to try. You're going to walk out of here today and there's going to be temptations rising in your mind. Family members might provoke you. Worldlings out there might provoke you. The television will get turned on. I don't know what's going to happen to you. But I know it's not one thing either. And it's not a handful. Numerous things are going to happen to you before this day can finish. And you can try to find the safety of your bed where some evil thought raises its ugly head while you're trying to sleep. Because that person really... Or some fantasy comes into your mind. Let not sin therefore reign. It's going to try in your mortal body. We put these mortal bodies, which are going to die, but they're not dead yet, but we put them under water saying they're dead. I am not going to let this body do anything any longer that displeases God or that is contrary to what Jesus Christ did in his life or that raises up any of the sins that Jesus Christ died to get rid of. This body is dead. 
Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. And let me close this thing up. Now listen to me for a few minutes. Yield. You know, the ugly facts of Romans 6 are this. And the ugly facts of Romans 6.13 is this. You give up. You give in. You hand over. You surrender. You forfeit. That's what it means to yield. Resist. Put up a fight. I'm not going to do that. Say it out loud. I'm not going to do that. That's sort of what I meant. As we go through life, say it. Say it to your family. Say it to yourself. I'm dead to that. I am not going to yield. Oh, it's powerful. It's your flesh. It's going to rear its ugly head. But starve your flesh. Do you know what television does? I know. I've mentioned it. You want? You think I know? Television feeds your old man. Television feeds your flesh. Worldly friends feed your flesh. Too much carnal activity feeds your flesh. Worldly music feeds your flesh. And so that makes it stronger. Starve it. Starve your flesh. Feed your new man. Feed your new man. Singing. And, the, and music to the glory of God, the Word of God, prayer, and being around spiritually minded saints in this church. It'll change you. It'll give you strength in the new man to put down the old man. You're to put the old man off. You're to put the new man on. Colossians 3, Ephesians 4, and it's taught right here that the old man's dead in baptism, so I'm not going to yield anymore. Well, that spouse of mine... They ought to know why I'm upset. When they come to me, I'll forgive them. But until then, forget it. I'm going to treat them the way they've treated me. That's your old man. When you were baptized, you said you weren't going to treat your spouse that way anymore, ever. In addition to your marriage covenant, and every time you sit in here and hear anything about marriage, every time you take her and hold her and say, "I'm, I'm sorry, You mean you're never going to do that again? Then don't do it. Henceforth we should not serve sin. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness. You've got ears. What are you listening to? Is it kingdom music? You've got eyes. What are you looking at? Is it kingdom glory? You've got a tongue and and lips. What do they utter? Is it to the praise and glory of God? You've got a mind. You've got hands. What do they handle? What do they touch? Are they touching someone other than your spouse? Are they touching romance novels for women or porn for men? What are they touching? Your feet. Where are they taking you? All these members. Jesus Christ died to kill the sinful use of those members. And you buried your old self and your old body in the waters of baptism to rise to take this body, which is the temple of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, and listen, this verse excites me, verse 13, and to use this thing. And it, this thing is older, but that doesn't matter. God knows all that. But use this thing, hands, feet, eyes, ears, mouth, thoughts, 
use this thing for the glory of God and as instruments of righteousness unto God. Do you know why He's left us here in this world? He has left us here having crucified our old man legally, and we crucified our old man in baptism, and now this body is to be used for the glory of God. Are you dead to sin? Are you dead to sinful fantasies? Foolish speech? Jesting? Filthiness? Worldly music? Rebellion? What don't you like about your parents? You said you were going to bury that when you were baptized. Are you dead to moodiness? Moody is a sign, moodiness is a sign of infancy. Inability to rule your spirit. Are you dead to unthankfulness? These are things you should kill in your life. Bitterness? Who are you bitter against? Listen, God should be bitter against you and everyone on the face of this planet should be bitter against you because you stink by every measure. What are you bitter against anyone for? Are you dead to selfishness? Are you dead to fear? Are you dead to laziness? Are you dead to revenge? Are you dead to everything the Bible condemns? Jesus died against for those things. And we buried those things under the waters of baptism. So we can't yield to them anymore. I will not yield to that. Yield not to temptation is a song in our songbook. And we got to make that choice every day. We know these things that come after us. And we're not going to yield to them. We're not going to yield to the devil. Do you know what the Bible says? Submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and... You mean Lucifer will have to flee from me? He knows he's defeated by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he sees someone standing in the armor of God and standing with might in the evil day, he will flee. The Bible says so. Resist them. I won't do that. All of a sudden, you'll be stronger. Say it the second time. You'll be stronger. Say it the third time. You'll be stronger. He'll flee. We give up. We yield. We surrender. I'm, I don't feel like fighting today. I'm just going to let this mood take over and punish this family. I'm just going to go to bed. I'm just going to whine and moan. And you may not say those words to yourself, but I just feel so terrible. My life is so bad. And then that comes out and you're just a wicked sinner. Those are things that Jesus Christ died to kill and that you buried in the waters of baptism. Are you alive to some things? Are you alive to praise? To thanksgiving? To Bible reading? To looking for His coming? Are you alive to service to others? Charity? Temperance? Patience? Godliness? Brotherly kindness? Loving your spouse? Loving your children? Forget loving your children. They don't need any more. Train your children. Train your children. Uh, just come and see me on Wednesday evening. You know, you'll get to hide there in a crowd, and I'm going to have to stand up there and strip myself naked in front of seven children. You little babies, and you don't want to come? I hate these sessions. God help me do them anyway. Because are we dead to being lazy fathers? And are we alive to being good fathers? By example and instruction, training and affection. Is your life, your body, is it the temple of the Holy Ghost? The Bible says, uh, know ye not? It says that a lot, doesn't it? 
Are there some things that we're supposed to all understand? Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 13 gets me excited. If we stop yielding, if we stop yielding these things, if we stop yielding and we start resisting and we start remembering our baptism and we start saying, I am dead to that, I am going to crucify that, I am going to kill that, I'm going to mortify it, our bodies then become those that are alive from the dead, the resurrection of baptism, and our members, all the parts of my existence, as instruments of righteousness unto God. You say, but I can't ever do it perfectly. Who knows that better than you? He wrote the verse, and he doesn't care what you think about the verse, and he doesn't care about your thoughts about your imperfection. Are you going to stop yielding, and are you going to start fighting a good warfare? Arm yourselves with the same mind. Jesus armed himself for death. We armed ourselves for baptism. We come out of baptism and we arm ourselves again. I'm going to die to certain things. I'm going to live to other things. Will you do that this week? Will you remember Romans 6? If the Lord gives us two weeks, will you do it for two weeks? This day, what are you going to put to death? If you don't put something to death, you're a liar. You're a hypocrite. You're a fraud. There are things in every one of our lives that we must put to death. There are things that well up and stand up and want to fight and take us over, and we cannot yield. Let's put up a good warfare. The devil will flee. The flesh will lose strength, and the Holy Spirit will no longer be quenched and grieved, and he will strengthen you with the power to do what you need to do. This is Romans 6, 6 through 13. May God bless the preaching of his word.